Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. How do you get your waterfowl hunting gear to the field? Whether you're new to the sport or a seasoned pro, I think you're going to find some tips in this episode. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanitas, and today we're talking about getting your gear to the field. And guys, I think I need to stress from time to time that the New Hunter's Guide is not just about people that are brand new to hunting, brand new to the sport, or just brand new to this pursuit. It's also, per the tagline, I've said it 300 times at this point, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. No matter how long you've been hunting, there are new things to learn, there are new tips, there are new insights, there's new perspectives, there are new hacks and so on that can help you in terms of strategy, in terms of equipment, in terms of approach, in terms of tactics. And I think this episode is one of those kind of things where, you know, of course, everybody learns their first time going to the field a way to get some things into the field. And then, of course, if you're like most people, you're just going to keep doing things the same way forever uh, without much thought to other ways. And that's just human nature. Every single one of us do it from in many different things. And so with this episode, I want to try to interject some new ideas. Of course, if you're brand new to the sport, you're getting ready for your first hunt or something you know, similar to that, then of course this is an absolutely critical piece of that equation. But chances are you've got some experience. And I think this episode is going to add some new approaches and some new ideas into your toolbox. So the first thing we need to address is what are we taking to the field? All right. Um, Of course, it depends on how you're going to hunt. And this is something I think this is a mental block for a lot of people. 
I think most people only have one way to hunt waterfowl. The way they were taught or the way they first did it or the way their family's always done it, they've got one approach and that's the way that they hunt and they enjoy it. Um, and, and they're just looking for ways to improve that approach and that's fine and well, but there are many ways to hunt waterfowl. There are many ways to hunt ducks and geese. And of course, because of that, there are many ways to get your gear to the field. But even bigger than that, there are many different kinds of gear setups. So the most traditional is probably go to water's edge. You're going to set up a spread of decoys. Depends on what part of the country you are, what that average number is going to be. And a dozen other variables. But... If you follow enough people online, you're probably going to end up with a philosophy that more is better. So you're going to have a few dozen decoys out there at least. And then you're trying to figure out how do you get all those decoys and gear to build a blind or a pop-up blind or an A-frame blind or some other kind of structure and all the other hunting gear that you need into the woods. And of course, that is a real legitimate method of hunting and a real need for gear-wise. But there are other ways to go about this. Big spreads of decoys is not the only way, and it's not always the best way. There is no always the best way. It depends so much on where you are. Not just part of the country, but you know what part of the water are you on? Are you on a stream? Are you on a river? Are you on a creek? Are you on a lake? Are you on a marsh? Are you in a field? Is there no water? Um, there's lots of different approaches to doing this. So I'm going to boil this down and just to a couple functional sets of gear. All right, I can't, there's no reason even to cover all the different ways you can hunt because what we're talking about today is how to get your gear to the woods. So let's just talk about some gear setups and some gear levels. So first of all, you've got big gear. Big gear is big quantities of decoys, big spread, big blind, go big or go home. You're, you're looking at, you know, five dozen plus decoys maybe. Maybe you're going out with two, three, five guys, whatever the number is. You got a lot of decoys, you got rigging, you got all kind of stuff going on. I know a lot of guys there, they're using 10 dozen decoys or more. They wouldn't use less than 10 dozen. And then, you know, there's people across the spectrum. So one approach is big gear. Now, there's not a whole lot of difference between big gear for goose hunting and big gear for duck hunting, except the big gear for goose hunting is even bigger because the decoys are bigger. However, there are some space-saving measures that you can do for goose hunting that are less of an option for duck hunting, such as stackable shell decoys, such as folding body decoys, such as flags and, um, you know, whether it's a handheld flag or just flag decoys that you pop out. Not everything has to be 100 to 200 big full body space taking up full size decoys um, but you know you're gonna have a lot of stuff if you're going with a big goose spread so we'll talk about tiered approaches for that momentarily so you got big big all-out spread now there's two levels of big all right there's two levels there is the level of big 
that the human beings that are going into the woods can haul with them through any number of mechanisms that we're going to talk about. And then there's a level of big that can only be left in the woods or can only be brought to the woods with a caravan of vehicles. Whether those are pickup trucks or boats, there's just more than you can do without motor power. So I'm just going to break big into two levels. The level that you and your team of hunters can physically get into the woods on your own. And then you have the level that only motor vehicles of some sort are going to help you get there. All right, so put a peg in that. We'll come back to it. Then you have what I call the mid-sized tier. All right, for duck hunting, you're talking about two, three dozen decoys. You're talking about, you know, your waders, your gun, maybe some mesh and things to build a blind. You're probably not bringing in a full A-frame or pre-developed, pre-built blind that you're going to assemble on site. Uh, maybe you are. Maybe. You could go either way at this level, but you're at the mid-level of gear. Then you have light, all right? The light version. You're going in with a dozen or less decoys. I define light versus mid based on one point. Can you carry everything in on your back or not? If you can carry everything in, you're going in light. If it's too much for you to carry on your back, effectively, without wearing yourself out, in the dark, over distance, then you're in the mid category. And then you have the no gear category. Basically nothing. You're not going in with any decoys. You're either jump hunting, or maybe you're going in with two or three decoys. And you're just setting up, you know, on the edge of corner of something, and that's it. I mean, you're basically going in with nothing. Maybe you're going to wear in some breathable waders. You're going to put two or three decoys in your backpack, and you're just, you're going in pretty much empty. You could pack up your spot and move to another spot in less than two minutes. Um, or you've got no decoys at all and you're jump hunting or you're, you're just walking and hunting the edge of the water or whatever the case may be. So you've got heavy, big gear. You've got the level of big gear that you need motor vehicles, the level of big gear that humans can do. You've got mid-level gear, light gear, and no gear. So if I counted right, that's five different levels of gear for waterfowl hunting. Now, of course, I'm generalizing some things and trying to minimize the number of categories and break those categories, you know, along lines that make some sense and that you can remember. But we're just going to go with this broad approach for the moment. So if we start at the high level, all right, how do you get huge sets of gear into the woods? Well, you're going to need pickup trucks. You're going to need boats with motors. You're going to need to build it maybe in the woods. You know, I, I know of numerous people. They put their set out. They put their decoys out. They put everything out. And it stays out. It doesn't come back. They may take the decoys out of the water and store them in a blind that they've built out of wood at water's edge. But they're not carrying anything in and out of the woods other than their backpack, their gun, maybe their waders. That's it. The spread is built there. 
Now, of course, you had to get it there somewhere, but when you've got the off season, you know, that could have been a hundred trips or any number of things that ways you could have gotten that gear in piece by piece or driven back there or had a boat or swamp boat or whatever the case may be. And for the record, wow, do I wish I had some of those setups that I could go to and you're just like, it's all there. You just show up and hunt it. And a lot of times these folks, they'll leave the decoys out and they'll just come back every day and hunt it every day. Leave the decoys in the water, not even take them in. And wow, would that be easier than what most of us do. Hopefully one day I'll be able to find myself in a position where I own my own water and I'm able to do that in, in a location or two and just head out to the blind, get there, you know, 20 minutes before the sun comes up, sit down and start hunting and go, ah, the easy way. Um, but if you're listening to this podcast, chances are that is not an opportunity that you have right now. So you've got that approach. How do you get big gear into the woods? Well, of course, if you're brand new to hunting, you don't have any big gear. You, it's just the, it's, it's obvious, right? But some people may. So you got to get in there with trucks. You got to get in there with boats. You know, for people that are field hunting, they can often just pull their truck right in the middle of the field, take everything down, have a few guys pull up with pickup trucks. Some people have trailers full of gear, full of decoys, goose decoys, and everything else. You're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear. And I don't even know where you store it. But it's a real thing. And eventually you could get built up to the point where, you know, you buy a little bit every year for 20 years, you're there. So you just drive in. If you're hunting the water's edge, you just back down to the water. Somehow you got your spot ready, picked out. There's an access road and you're able to get right up to the water. Or you boated in on not, not a little boat, not a kayak, not a canoe, but you're talking about significant boating power you're able to, to drive in there. And, um, you know, this is not the kind of boat transportation, though, that most people think of when they think of boats for duck hunting. You know, how, you, you cannot fit 10 dozen decoys on most boats people are taking into the water. You're talking about bigger boats. You're not talking about a boat you can pull up on shore and hide most of the time. This is bigger gear. This is this is scale or you've got a you got several boats coming into an area and again that's money that's time that's way beyond where most people are at when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply this episode is supported by fx's clipped the scandalous story of the 2014 clippers owners racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Then you've got the level of, okay, how do you get big gear into the woods manually? 
And this is really what's where we start to get most applicable for this episode. So there's a few different ways to get big gear into the woods. Now, before I go any further, if you've hunted with big gear, I want to encourage you to think about other ways of hunting. I want to encourage you to think about hunting with medium gear or light gear or going in with essentially no gear. Expand your mind. If you've done it one way, think about other ways and times and approaches. A lot of times, people are limited. They can't go when they want to. They can't go where they want to unless they've got a team of people that they can go with to get all their gear out because they don't know another way. And they don't hunt as much as they want to, and it's a lot of work when they do, and there are other ways. But let me, let me talk about that more later. So you got all this gear. So what do you do? Well, there's a handful of different ways to get big gear and medium gear into the woods. Most traditional is probably a jet sled. A jet sled is a large fiberglass sled. They're usually rated at, you know, something like 200 pounds or 300 pounds or 400 pounds of gear that they can float. I don't know why they use that as a rating, but, um, you know, the, the, the mid-size ones, the ones that I like, they run about $55, $60, the best prices you can find. Usually you're getting them at like tractor supply stores, places that are like that because they use them on farms and stuff to pull things around and move things around. These are not winter sleds, though I'm sure they would work for the, for the cause. They are rugged, heavy duty. You mean, we drag these sleds across everything. Rocks, boulders, moss, branches, down trees, mud, over water. The floating really helps actually sometimes because you can trudge through the water and just pull this thing behind you easier than you can dragging it across the shore. But they are big. I have yet to wear one out. Though I've heard stories of people that have worn them out, but I mean, they last a long time. After seasons of dragging it over rocks, I mean, the the camo paint is starting to wear off the bottom, but there is no compromise of structural integrity whatsoever. Um, These things are heavy duty. They come in various sizes, though. Usually, they're positioned in the marketing, if you're buying one on Amazon or something, There's a regular and there's an extra large, okay? The regular is like $50, $60. The extra large is like $100, $110, something like that. Of course, prices may change by the time you get this episode. Um, You know, the regular one is going to float maybe 200 pounds of gear or something like that, maybe 150, whereas the bigger one is going to float like 300 to 400. Now, I have looked into this. I've done some serious thinking and some research and some experimentation here. And this is my conclusion. I'm going to try to save you some time and money. Don't buy the extra large ones. All right? Do not buy the huge sizes. All right? There's a reason. You cannot pull the gear. They end up being so heavy that an average person cannot pull them without unreasonable fatigue. You'd be amazed at how much gear you can load into one of the smaller ones. We will load two dozen decoys, 
two backpacks, two shotguns, a set of waders, uh, maybe some stools or something to sit at, some camo netting, um, some odds and ends, and man, that thing is so heavy. And we'll get some bungees and we'll strap them over top so the stuff doesn't fall off. That thing is so heavy that it, it is it is seriously burdensome to drag it any significant distance. And to make the sled bigger means you're going to put more weight in it. And if you have more weight in it than that, you're just not going to be able to use it. It's just going to... To, to get the benefit of the extra size would require more weight packed into it than you can reasonably pull. And now here's the thing. It's not that you can't pull it. Okay, so you could load it up in your yard and test it. And say, all right, I've got this sled packed full of all my gear. I bought the super big sled. What does George know, idiot? I bought this super big sled. I loaded up with five dozen decoys and all of our guns and our gear and our ammo and everything. And I can pull it just fine. Yeah, of course you can. I didn't say you couldn't pull it, but how far can you pull it? Can you pull it half a mile? Can you pull it a mile and a half? How far can you pull that before your arms are about ready to fall off, before you're about ready to have a heart attack, before you get to the spot and you are so worn out, you got to sit and rest for 20 minutes before putting the decoys out. You're dehydrated from sweating so much. All your gear is full of sweat and it's cold. And then by the time you finally do settle in and cool down, you're just freeze up. Now you got the opposite problems. It becomes so heavy that the average person cannot do it in a way that is practical for hunting. It's either going to wear you out, soak you through, or just mess you up. Uh, also, the bigger they get, you, you talk about pulling across your backyard for 30 feet. Great. What about uphill? Over rocks? You have to lift this thing off the ground to clear tree branches and things at a time. You get it in mud and it just sticks. You're like, ugh. You know, it, pulling it across flat ideal conditions for 30 feet is not a measure of what you're going to experience in the field. You cannot compare those two things. Um, oftentimes the best thing you can do is rotate, rotate who's pulling it. So you got two or three guys. Don't just put everything you have in the sled and just have two guys walk unencumbered while one kills themselves to pull the sled. And then you rotate every hundred feet. Now you're being stupid. You want to distribute that weight, have everybody carry their own gun in their backpack and maybe something else so that the sled does not become this just ridiculously heavy thing that is hard to deal with. What I prefer to put in the sled are the things that are the most difficult for me to carry in. And that is the decoys, whatever we're sitting on, and the waders. All right, those are the things that are hardest to carry. Waders are big. I usually use neoprene waders because those are the only ones I have at this moment. And they weigh like 15 pounds. They are massive. They're heavy, they are super warm and durable, but they're awkward to carry in. So those go in with the decoys, which are also difficult to carry. Like, George, just get a decoy get a decoy back. I'll get there. I'll get there. But um, the answer is no, at this scale, that's not gonna, this is not practical. So you gotta have a sled. Other options include a cart. They make big carts big gnarly tires, you know, 
sidewalls, back gate. You can buy them for usually a little more than the sleds, but it's not cost prohibitive. You can pull those carts easier than you can pull the sleds, but they're more susceptible to terrain and they don't work as well near water. So pulling them uphill, is it easier to pull a cart uphill or a sled uphill? Well, it depends on the hill. It depends. If it's a real rocky hill, it's actually easier to pull the sled uphill because the cart, you get top heavy, you get wheels stuck on things. Um, it's not as easy as you think. Now, if you're pulling across flat ground, if you're trying to do field hunting and you have relatively flat ground and you've got a good wild wheelbase on the cart, the cart can definitely be the easiest way to go. Uh, there's a time and a place where each one's the better tool. So you need to have a sense for where you're hunting, how you're going to be using it most of the time, and then get what works best for you. But people, I think, overlook the carts too often. There are times when the cart is the better tool. It costs a little bit more, but the benefit is significant. You can put more weight in the cart some of the time and pull it with the same or less effort. So if you are in the right kind of situation where a cart can do the job, it was probably going to be better than the sled is. All right, the sled goes places, through things. You know, if you're pulling across a hill, like, and you're walking, not up the hill or down the hill, but you're walking along sideways on the hill, man, the cart can really, can really not work out. Now, if you pack the sled too high, yeah, the sled could get top heavy and tip over, but it really depends. So cart is a good option. Another good option, if you're coming in through the water, is to boat it in. Get a kayak or get a small canoe. Uh, kayaks, are, they make some really good kayaks for hunting that are open in the front and in the back. Nothing covering anything. You get these sort of big open cargo panels that you can bungee stuff over and you can put a couple dozen decoys. You can put all your gear. You can do all that. Get it in the kayak and just paddle in. Kayak can be the easiest way to do it in certain situations. There's no one size fits all. Of course, if you're not hunting water, kayak's not going to help you. And you can't use a kayak in all water, in all water either. But there are times where a kayak is a great option. I have seen good kayaks start at $350. Kayaks that I would look at and say, yeah, that would work reasonably well for this purpose. Better ones come in, you know, the five and six hundred dollar range, and the really good ones are more like a thousand to fifteen hundred. And of course, there are all star ones that are higher than that. So, the kayak route is the more expensive route because you don't just need a kayak, you also need a paddle. Decent paddle is going to cost you fifty to a hundred dollars. You don't just need a kayak and a paddle, you need a life jacket that's going to cost you another thirty to sixty dollars. You don't just need those items. Now you need a roof rack or some kind of way to secure the kayak. So that's going to cost you more money. Now you have a boat. You're going to have to register that boat with the boat commission. That's going to cost you a few more shekels. And so the cost of having the kayak are more than just the price of the kayak. All of a sudden you need bungees now. Of course, you're going to need bungees probably with the other two. But chances are you need more bungees on the kayak. Now since you're floating in in a boat, you're going to need floating stuff that'll keep your gear in case you flip over. So you need a floating gun case. That's another 30 to $80. 
you're going to need other dry bags and things to keep your valuables and your phone dry in case you capsize. That's more money. Your regular backpack probably isn't going to float, so you're going to need a special backpack or something tied to a floaty, and it just goes on and on. Eventually, you're going to want to put headlights on that kayak um, because you're boating it in the dark and you need to be able to see, and a headlamp is just not going to give you as much light as you want. So the costs go up fast with waterborne travel. However, it can definitely be the absolute best approach in certain situations. You can reach places on a kayak you could not reach other ways. You can get your gear and yourself there with a lot less effort. Often you can just back your truck or your car down to the water, put the boat in, get your stuff on the boat. You're not carrying gear, you know, half a mile. You're not dragging the gear a half a mile. You're, you're, you're using a lot less energy. Oftentimes you can move faster than you could dragging. Because uh, it's not just how fast can you row versus how fast can you walk. It's how fast can you drag that gear with whatever mechanism that you're on. So the kayak can really work. The canoe is harder. The canoe actually is harder because canoes are bigger. They're heavier. They're, they, they draft deeper in the water. So you, you've got more limitations. They're easier to flip over. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, of course, it depends on, on the kayak and on the canoe. That's not always accurate. Um, they cost more. They're bigger. Transportation is more difficult. It's a bigger job. But the benefit of the canoe is you could put two or three people in a canoe. So if you take that into account, the canoe could also be the best tool in certain situations and circumstances. Now, people talk about floating your decoys behind you, putting them in a decoy bag, tying them off to the back of the kayak or the back of the canoe, and just dragging them behind you. So you don't put them in the boat. They don't take up space. They're not weighing you down. They float anyway. Just drag them and tow them behind you. So, of course, you can do that. Sometimes that may be the better option. I'm not a huge fan of that. And the reason is those decoys drag then. They slow you down. It takes more work to paddle, especially if you have any kind of current that you're, you're working with. Those decoys in the water are going to make your boat seem like it's twice as big as it is. So it's going to take more energy to fight the current. It's going to take more energy to keep you going. It's going to take more energy to maintain speed. You're going to sweat more. And then you get there and you may have you know, picked up all sorts of algae and debris and sticks and weeds and you just have more mess. So I'm not a big proponent of dragging the decoys in. However, there are times when that is the right option or that is the best option. You just got to read the situation. There's no one size fits all to any of this. So your three main approaches is sled cart or small boat, hand-powered boat, a canoe or a kayak. Now, if you're doing less gear, well, hold on, let me pause there. Depending on how much gear you have, you may also have multiple people pulling sleds. You may have multiple people coming in with boats. Now, there is another angle here I should just touch on, and that is if you have a kayak, a small kayak, Oftentimes, people will hunt deeper water if they have a boat. 
So they're able to get in places they couldn't get. But I've also seen people drag their gear in a kayak, put the gear in the boat, and then drag the boat like a sled to get to the water. And then they're there, they have their gear, and they have their small kayak. So they're able to, they use the kayak to go in and retrieve the ducks when the water's too deep, or when the current is, is you know, too much, or whatever number of undesirable factors for wading in, they're going to use the boat. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That is only reasonable if you're walking and dragging the boat a small distance because the boat is harder to drag than the sled. The boat weighs, has its own significant weight to it. The empty boat takes a lot of energy to drag any significant difference. Whereas the empty sled weighs nothing. So a boat then loaded with gear is going to take even more energy. So that can also be a good option if you're dealing with a short drag. You know, three quarters of a mile dragging a boat, that's terrible. Um, We have done it. We We have done it. We've had a boat downstream you know, a mile to, to retrieve a duck for a whole story I won't get into. And then had to drag the boat back because that was easier than fighting the current. And that was an empty boat and that's a lot of work. All right, your arms are getting really worn out and tired. Don't recommend doing that with an empty boat, let alone a boat full of your gear. But if you only need to get a couple hundred yards, well, all right, putting the gear in the boat, dragging the boat, that might be an ideal way to do it because you, if you need the boat to do the job then having a sled that can save you trips and all of that so that's another approach um, and you may have to have multiple sleds multiple carts multiple boats whatever the case may be to get you know depending on how much your scale of gear is now as you start to get into the light gear you can carry some gear in I've, I've done too much hunting where I've carried in all the gear and people have said well you know if you got a one of those fancy duck decoy bags that has all the slots in it you can put your decoys in the slots and then you can put the bag over your shoulder and you just carry it in yeah that sounds good that feels real good when you're practicing in the store but in the woods that just doesn't often work it's not the same thing those bags are big and they're bulky and as you're walking unless you're walking just across empty flat ground or just low grass or whatever you're catching it on everything you're hitting everything you're getting caught in thickets you're getting caught in jaggers you're getting caught on trees it can be a major hassle because they're big also you load all those decoys and all that gear into the bag and it becomes really heavy. So now it's heavy 
and it's bulky and it's usually just one big strap across your shoulders and the angle is awkward and it just doesn't work like that. Okay, over a short distance, that may be the best option. But you're trying to get half a mile carrying in, you know, a big heavy decoy bag with all the rest of your gear in it, then, oh man. And we've done too many hunts where we've had to walk a mile to get in, get set up. And those bags, eh, they're, what I do, I have the fancy decoy bag. I bought it. This is how I know. I have it. I put all my decoys in it, all my gear in it. And then I put the fancy decoy bag right on the sled. And then I drag the sled in with the decoy bag. Because the decoy bag keeps everything organized, keeps all the decoys safe, keeps them from rubbing against each other, keeps everything untangled. Then what I'll do is I'll just pull my sled into the water behind me. It floats. The decoy bag's in it. I can just reach into the decoy bag, grab the decoys, throw the decoys into the water. It's a great system. But just carrying gear in. Um, now, they have those mesh decoy bags, and they're just big mesh bags with shoulder straps. I have those. Multiple brands. You fill them up with a dozen or two dozen decoys. You throw them on your back, and you just carry it in, right? Yeah, it, it sucks. It's terrible. You know, you put two dozen decoys in one of those, it is heavy, it is bulky, and what happens is it sags down, the straps pull up, and every time you're walking, the back of your calves are hitting that bag of decoys, and you're, you're just kicking those ducks every time. And it's really uncomfortable. You know, a dozen decoys, you know, is, is about the limit of being able to do it comfortably, from my experience, and less is more really less is more if you're taking that approach. So if I'm packing in solo or I'm just going in super light, I'll take half a dozen decoys tops and I'll typically take smaller decoys. I really, really like the uh, last pass final approach mallards that I got a year or two ago because they are, they are small mallard decoys. They're small and they're light. So a half dozen of those versus a half dozen of the full size that I have, it's a world of difference. They take up drastically less space, almost half and less weight, which is number one reason I got them was for these kinds of missions. So I can throw a half dozen of those in a bag, pack that in without a big problem. But you got to keep in mind, when you're going in on foot, you're going in without anything else, here's what you have. You have your gun, you're going to have a backpack or some sort of thing with the rest of your equipment in it. You're going to have waders, and then you're going to have these decoys. So, and that's if you have nothing to sit on. That's if you have, you know, maybe you've got a pad or a cushion also tied to your waist you've got a little stool in the bag with the decoys you got all this stuff it becomes awkward and you can't take a lot of stuff i mean if you're going in light you're going in light you just there are creature comforts you have to live without most of the time if we're going in light i don't even take decoys i'm going in with my waders my shotgun and a stool i, I won't even take my backpack i'll leave the backpack and I'll put my, my calls, I'll put some water, I'll put whatever other critical things I need in my pockets. 
and I'll go in light. And if I don't have it, I just won't have it. And then I'll suffer through. And uh, that approach works if you can hunt that way. Um, now, if you have more people, then the things become easier. All right. You can condense stuff. You know, one person can carry the waiters. Um, one person can carry the seats. One person can carry the decoys. And now you've got a system. You're able to spread them some things out because you don't need three of everything. A lot of things you just need one of. You only need one set of waiters. You only need one person to carry the decoys. You're going to have three guns and three backpacks and, you know, all those things. But you only need one set of calls, really. You know, so you can condense, you can spread out the, distribute the load, and then you're able to get that stuff in light and easy. Um, I like going in light. I have really become a fan of it because the other ways take a lot of work and a lot of planning. And you'd be amazed at what you can do with a dozen little decoys if you've got three people and you're able to spread the gear out and you, you know you're just, one person's carrying decoys and one person's carrying waiters and one person's taking in seats in a backpack and you know it becomes so much easier of course each of you's got your own gun but you can really do a lot with a dozen decoys in a great variety of situations and circumstances now of course sometimes it's just not going to be enough but it really depends on where you're hunting and how you're hunting i think so many times people have just they buy into the waterfowl marketing delusion that more is more and more is always more and extra more is more and the more you can get the more chance you're going to have the more birds you're going to take so you know a dozen decoys is not enough you need two dozen all right well two dozen is not enough you need three dozen and once you get three dozen well that's not enough you need five dozen and once you get your five dozen, you hear people talking about how big of a hunt they had with their eight dozen. And you're always adding more to the point where you reach the point where I reached. You have more than you can take into the woods. You have more than you can pack into the woods via the, the methods available to you. And then you sit back and go, huh, more is not more because you, there are technical limitations. And so much of the time, Guys, it, we're, it's just, we're moved by marketing and YouTube videos. I got nothing against YouTube videos. Of course, I'm making YouTube videos, but we see YouTube videos of people hunting over a thousand decoys and we're like, oh man, my dozen decoys is useless. A dozen decoys can do a lot of duck hunting. A dozen decoys can, can work in and bring in a lot of ducks. You know, you reach a point where any gains that you're getting from more are inconsequential. Are, is two dozen twice as good as one dozen? No. Now, sometimes it's going to give you some advantage. When you're talking about geese, there is a truth to, to having a big spread and being able to pull in big groups. No doubt about it, especially in fields. That's a real thing. Um, but for regular duck hunting, you do not usually have, you know, big groups of 10 dozen ducks that are coming in and you need to have a thousand decoys there to get their attention. All right. That's just, that's not usually what's happening for most people in most places. You know, a, a dozen decoys is probably the most bang for your buck. 
Two dozen maybe gives you 50% more, more draw than a dozen. Three dozen maybe gives you 10% more draw than two dozen. Four dozen might give you 5% more draw than three dozen, right? There's diminishing returns that you hit really quick in the average hunting circumstance in most places. There's never an all, there are no blanket statements, but on average, for the majority of situations, one or two dozen decoys is plenty. It's plenty. Would more help a little more? It would help a little more sometimes, but usually the weight and the difficulty, because you don't just have to drag them in. You don't just have to get them to the water. You don't just have to you know, get them there. I got to set them up. You got to rig them. If you're having motion, you got to set all that up. So now you're spending more time setting up. So whereas before you had a dozen decoys and you're setting up a, a crude blind with your and hiding your one sled and all that, then you were, you know, you were able to set up in 30 minutes, maybe 45 brushing in your blind. Well, now you got three dozen decoys and you got two sleds and and you you got all this extra rigging. Well, now it's taking you an hour and a half to get everything set up. Because, of course, you're not just adding decoys. You're adding motion decoys. You're adding stuff that splashes. You got three different lines you can be pulling um, to make all sorts of different movements. And I, it's just unsustainable. Like, I learned early on, okay, I can only do so many things at once. I cannot pull the jerk rig and call and be ready to shoot anything. All right, I cannot do those three things. I can't work multiple jerk rigs and call. So you've got to have, now you're scaling, you've got more people, you've got all this stuff going on in order just to keep up with your gear. And it's that's really what it's about. I've become a big fan, guys, and I'm not sponsored by these folks, though I would be happy to talk with them. And I think it's the Higdon Pulsator decoys. Oh, I've become a big fan of those because you just set them in the water, you turn them on, and they just rock back and forth and splash, create movement, and it saves you from pulling jerk cords. And I really do believe that we have lost ducks and lost chances at ducks because of jerk cords. Because you're sitting there moving and you're pulling them and, and you got to pull it far a lot of the times. And the ducks see that movement or they see the cords splashing at the end of the water because you couldn't get the perfect angle because you couldn't use the real thin, fine thread cord. You had to use big, heavy decoy line because you got mud there. It kept getting stuck. The little cord was breaking. You got all these situations and circumstances. You keep upgrading the line and the gear and all this, and now it's visible and ducks are seeing it and stuff is getting stuck and you pull the jerk rigs in while you're pulling them by accident because the hooks failed and all these kind of things happen and you're just sitting there pulling on these cords all the time i hate that i you know i've just I, I, we've we reached a point where we had so many cords and so many things going we're like this is hurting us more than it's helping us of course movement is good but we're having all these negative effects and then boom they drop that little invention out there you throw it in the water, and it splashes and kicks water up into the air and creates waves and movement in your decoys. The only downside is they're not cheap. Um, 
They're not cheap at all. But I would rather have a dozen decoys and one pulsator than three dozen decoys and three or four jerk lines. I would. I'd rather have... Because the movement that you now have from all these things and the chances that that's going to spook ducks, I think, is bigger than any gain that you get from having a few more decoys. Um, My opinion. No science there. My opinion. But moving on. So then you've got that light approach. So I recommend you really try going some places. Going in light. Going in with half a dozen. Going in easy. And if you're a new hunter, you're brand new to the sport, oh man, that's that's definitely the easiest way to do it. Get a dozen, get a half a dozen decoys. Get some breathable waders. Okay, not neoprene for this. Now, yeah, if you're hunting real cold weather, neoprene is the best. There's nothing that can touch neoprene. I don't care what the marketing says. You know, your super thin slate line, insulated, breathable waders that you can remove the lining from or whatever. Yeah, that is well and good. It is still not going to keep you warmer than neoprene. You're breaking ice and kicking ice and doing, I mean, neoprene is king in the winter. Nothing works better than neoprene. It's a super material for frigid Arctic days. But, and the rest of the time, breathable waders weigh a lot less. Right, it's a lot easier to pack a set of breathable waders in. I don't like to wear my waders into the spot because I don't want to get the wear and tear on the waders. Because waders aren't cheap. Good waders are not cheap at all. And I don't want to wear my waders out walking in and walking out if I can help it. There are times when I will if we're not walking far or if I'm going in solo. Um, but I prefer to put the waders on when we get there so as to not wear the waders out. But neoprene or breathable waders can weigh a lot less, 40% less, half as much weight sometimes as um, the comparable, you know, five millimeter neoprene. So if you're going in light, if you're going in like that, breathable waders are probably a better approach because they're lighter. If you do need to wear them in, you can wear breathables without wearing yourself out. You know, if I go in and, and, and go a mile in my neoprene waders, I'm tired. It wears you out. You, It's not just the extra weight on your body, but it's around your joints. It just takes more energy to walk. Every motion takes a little bit more energy. Of course, they're not breathable, hence the name, right? Breathable waders. But you get wet because you sweat while you're wearing them in and you're covering all that different distance. And then, of course, if you're wet, you're going to get cold. Doesn't matter what's going on. You know, wet equals cold, even if you're wearing neoprene waders. So, but you can absolutely take ducks with half a dozen decoys, going in light, carry all your gear in. And last but not least, I really do think people... Do not give a fair uh, a fair case to going in with no gear, to going in with no decoys, to going in with nothing but your gun and a pair of breathable waders in your backpack um, and, and hunting like that. I know in some places you cannot hunt like that. It's not safe. It's not smart. It's not courteous. It's not ethical because you got people setting up in blinds every hundred yards 
And you cannot just walk around and try to shoot ducks near the edge of the water. You're going to mess up everybody else's hunt. You're probably going to get shot. You're probably going to shoot somebody else. There are certainly places where you cannot do that and you should not do that and you would be irresponsible to try. But there are many other places where there are miles upon miles of untouched waterways that nobody's hunting, streams that nobody hunts on, areas that nobody's going into because nobody can pack in all their gear that far. And you can walk into those places with a pair of you know, muck boots or something on and you can hunt there for half a day and you can definitely take limits of birds hunting like that. And I would recommend if you've never tried that, give it a try. Find an area. You have to find the right area. What's the right area? It's an area where there's no other hunters. It's an area where other hunters aren't going to be or aren't going to go. Those are the best places to hunt on foot. Um, you know, I've known guys, they've gone in, okay, with two decoys, just a mallard pair. That's it. Just two de. I mean, basically like in cargo pockets. I mean, two small decoys. Of course, even small decoys aren't fitting in cargo pockets, but they take two, they take a mallard pair. They walk in deep. They go to an area. Of course, they're hunting the water as they walk, but they'll go in deep. If they find a good spot, they'll sit down behind a tree stump or something. They can hide it behind. They'll put their two mallards in like a, a calm little area, like a little pool on the side of a creek or something, and then they'll do some calling. And they've had great success hunting light, hunting with little to nothing. And you can absolutely bring in ducks and bring ducks home. Now, of course, if you have a perfect spot and you build your own blind on site and you have a thousand decoys, they're absolutely, you're probably going to be able to bring in more ducks faster hunting like that. But that's not even always the most fun way to hunt. I like hunting on foot because it lets me go places I couldn't go otherwise. Because I can see places I couldn't see otherwise. Because I can be up and moving and even on cold days stay warm. And it's a different experience. And what often happens, and I'm just going to throw this out there, we'll go in at you know, before dawn, we'll set up a decoy spread and a blind and we'll hunt the morning. And then once the birds have stopped flying and the hunt's over for the morning, most people pack up and go home. We'll pack up. We may go and get breakfast and then we're going out and we're hunting the water. We're walking. We're covering distance. All the other duck hunters have gone home, if there were any. Typically, we're not hunting in areas that have many duck hunters, but they're gone by then. And we're able to, to just scout. And really, we're scouting as much as hunting. You know, maybe we take two decoys with us, but usually we're just going in super light. And I've brought, I've probably taken as many ducks on foot, maybe more than I have sitting in a blind. Now, where I hunt is different than where most people are going to hunt. I've learned my water and I know how to hunt that water to, to fair effectiveness and I know how the birds move and I know how the hunters come and go. And I've learned the strategies for doing that. You couldn't just do what I said anywhere and get the same results. You have to learn your area. You have to scout. You have to get out there. You got to put time on boots on the ground, time in the woods. You got to hunt a few seasons and you learn some of the patterns and where birds typically are at and where you can sneak up on birds at. 
I, you know, I know a handful of places that are prime spots, not just places that there's usually birds there with some frequency, but places where I can sneak up on the birds because of the topography, because of the hills, because of the lay of the land, because of the cover. I know that I have a fair chance at sneaking up on them there. So, you, you, but it comes after years of getting out there. You know, if you haven't hunted for more than one season, you will never know if, if what you learned last season applies to the coming season. So, so you just got to get out there and you just got to do it. And you got to think about what's the best way to get my gear to the field. And what are other options? If I don't, if I'm tired of taking out five dozen decoys, what else can I do? So guys, I hope some of these options are helpful to you. I'd appreciate it if you head to the website, newhuntersguide.com, send me a note, send me an email. We'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear questions and ideas that you have for other shows or topics, or just, you know, just hear your encouragement. It's always helpful. Till next time, I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening. God bless you and go get them in the woods.